Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka! Without uh, further ado, uh, Chris, how are you doing? Uh, thanks for thanks for jumping on a call. I have no problem. Glad to be here. I should start by having you sort of introduce yourself for listeners and tell them uh, what you're up to right now. All right. So uh, my name is Chris Arnold. Um, I head Crown Demon Studios, which is just sort of an indie studio of me and a couple buddies. I've been doing various sort of odds and ends stuff in the game industry for about the past five years, mostly just little projects here and there. That's kind of, in terms of the game industry, that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, so have you done other stuff in the industry other than uh, work with your friends, or is this all uh, with uh, Crown Damon? Well, relatively recently, I've started doing some contract work with a couple of various companies, some of them uh, not quite AAA, but getting close to that space. So that's where where I've kind of been doing some contract work relatively recently. And I'm also interested long-term in trying to uh, land some more work kind of in more of like the edutainment sort of space, mm-hmm. uh, making like educational materials that have more of an interactive media focus, because obviously ever since the pandemic started, that's been a big focus. And especially since my other main career background is in education, I'm currently in the process of finally getting uh, becoming a certified educator in my state. And I've been working as a tutor on and off for the past four or so years. So that's the other part of my career background. And I'm very interested in trying to find ways to kind of have these two little skill sets of mine find a way to work together. Because I do feel like as more of our education is starting to be less focused on just the classroom and have additional materials outside of it, that there's a lot of very interesting opportunities to explore in those types of fields. So I'm hoping to get into that space probably in the next couple months. So that's been one of my focuses as well. That is interesting. And we have some uh, funny little parallels between our careers. I've also been doing uh, independent stuff around that same amount of time. I've worked (laughs) a little bit in, uh, educational content. So I, I've got a feeling an hour is not going to be very long for us to talk, <laughs> but, <laughs> no. but uh, I should start with the, the current project we're kind of here to talk a little bit about. And I, I also want to circle back to the educational background also, but uh, tell us about the current game that the studio is promoting. So Sin Therapy is a visual novel adventure, choose your own adventure sort of style game. The premise is that you are playing a therapist who has been brought in to diagnose and treat an experimental AI and see if they are suffering from mental illness or more technical issues. Mm-hmm. And you are put into the situation with, you have to create your own sessions, you ask the questions, you have to manage the loyalties of different characters, you come up with the treatment plan, you make the decisions on what therapy methods are used for the AI, and you go through the story based off of those choices that you're making in your therapy sessions and how you interact with other characters. So that's the game. And it's very choice centric. There's a big emphasis on the consequences of your choices. And there's a wide variety of consequences that you can explore with uh, 37 different endings and lots of different dialogue paths that you can potentially 
uh, miss out on based off of the choices you make. So there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, replayability going back in to kind of see how different choices could play out uh, in terms of different endings, in terms of just different reactions and trying different therapy methods to see what results uh, you get based off of your treatment methods. So there's a big emphasis on replayability and variety as well. Yeah. So, I mean, people see visual novel type games or heavily dialogue and choice driven uh, games Mm -hmm. and they think like, okay, small indie project that didn't take very long, but it's clear that this is different. And and I should say that a lot of games are are not actually the way the way they appear in that situation. But this Mm -hmm. is very story heavy. I'm surprised to hear uh, that many endings are available, uh, needless to say. This there's a lot of very good voice acting. Uh, I got I got to dig into the game a little bit this week, which uh, thank you for sending over a key. Um, Absolutely, (laughs) it's it's very interesting. I hope to spend uh, a good amount of time with it. But how long was this game in development? And talk a little bit about all of the the assets that went into this, all the recordings and the the Mm -hmm. music. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, so it's kind of difficult to put a pin exactly on how long the development took because it started as sort of a hobby project of mine, just something that I was working on on the side. Um, and I had planned to put it on Steam just as as a way to make it available. Um, but when the pandemic hit, that kind of threw a wrench into my plans to become an educator. I had planned originally to finish up the certification and then start going into into teaching. But the pandemic made that uh, difficult because testing centers to get the certification were closed. It was difficult to kind of get a read on when schools were going to reopen, in what capacity they were going to reopen. And there were concerns about, you know, making sure that everything was going to be safe for me to attend um, if I was able to get there. So that sort of left things uncertain. And around that same time, I was approached by our publisher, Vicarious, and they said, hey, we're interested in publishing this project. We'll help you uh, raise the funding you need in order to get voice acting, because at the time, that was an expense that I would not have been able to cover by myself. Yeah. So they stepped in. They helped provide the financing in order to get the voice acting that was necessary and some of the other uh, marketing that was needed in order to get the game in front of people. So I would say that it started as a hobby project and was working that way at around about two years. Most of that was just the writing and re um, <laughs> going back in, clearing things out, going back and retooling things to tighten things up. That probably took about two years. And then the actual work on the game proper, I want to say, was probably about a year or so. So about three years, but most of that was as a part-time hobby project. Whenever I had a couple hours, you know, at the end of the day to kind of just tinker around with things, I would do that. And then probably full-time uh, work was probably about a year, nine months, I would say, somewhere around that area. So it's kind of tricky to tell exactly how long the development took because sometimes it was just part-time hobby. Sometimes it was the actual full-time. This is what I'm focusing on as my work. So about three years from conception to completion, but probably about a year of that was actual full-time development. And the game has officially been released. That was late last year. Yeah, that was around mid October of last year. Okay. So steam release last year, uh, 
how how big is the the team? I know it's sort of informal and it's you and some buddies, but I mean, what does the team and the responsibilities breakdown look like? So responsibility breakdown, I consider myself to be like the lead designer of it because I was the person who was making the most decisions related to how the game would actually carry out. And I was advising everyone else on like, this is what you need to do based off of the design document, based off of the vision that I have for the project. So I was the main programmer for the project. I was also the main writer. I handled all of the other um, consultants we brought in for the project. We had a couple people come in to do some extra music composition for like mm-hmm. the cinematics. Uh, we had a couple artists come in. Uh, one was the main uh, collaborator who was the buddy of mine who I've been working with on various things for over 10 years. So he was the main artist on the project. We had another artist come in to do the promotional artwork that you see on the Steam page. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had somebody come in to help with QA because it's a very extensive game project. So having yeah. somebody else be able to go in and play it and report bugs while I was also working on other content was very useful. And I had an intern come in to help with the audio design, which was extremely important because there was a lot of audio files that had to be sorted through for the game. Oh, yeah. Like more so than you would see in a lot of typical uh, AAA games. I'm trying to remember because I was looking this up. I remember like looking up that there were like 4,000 lines of audio dialogue in the first Halo game. 4,000 in a AAA (laughs) game. And Synthrope has close to 7,500, something mm-hmm. in that range. So that was a lot of audio that had to be sorted through. It had to be balanced properly. That, you know, I had to make sure that all the takes were done properly. That was an extensive amount of work, and the game would not have shipped on time without his help. So a lot of people kind of serving in various capacities coming in to just kind of do whatever work was necessary in order to make sure that I could stay focused on the core aspect of the game, which was the programming and the writing, and then everyone else was sort of coming in in different capacities to make sure that everything else could be uh, tightened up as necessary. Mm -hmm. Something I uh, tell people all the time since I got started in indie development and learning about game development and stuff, I say the games that you think are going to be quick and easy or at least uncomplicated are seem to me (laughs) to be the biggest surprises. And, and, I kind of wonder if this is an example of that also, because I think of like, I've tried to make basic card games and uh, Mm -hmm. little puzzles and stuff like that. And I think if I had actually just made a platformer, at least I would have known exactly what I was getting into. Is this kind of an example of that? Um, Yes and no. So this was a game where getting the core functionality of it right uh, did not take a lot of time. In okay. order to really figure that out, figure that out, but figuring out how to do it in a way that would be engaging for the entire story length and refining the story as well, just finding ways to increase player interaction to make them feel like that they had more choices involved and that there was more variety in the experience. That was kind of where a lot of the reflection took place, and especially with the writing, because there was a lot of cases where. Um, I can give this sort of example. When we were going to actually bring voice acting in, that required a complete overhaul of the script because there were certain repetitions I was noticing in the dialogue, things that are perfectly fine when you're just reading it, but when you're suddenly having to look at every single line of dialogue has a cost associated, 
you start to really think, okay, how necessary is this line of dialogue? Can we remove this? And what ended up happening was I was actually, I trimmed out, I want to say, uh, like one eighth of the, of the script in preparation for the voice acting, mm-hmm. which actually left me a whole lot of space left to work with. And I thought, okay, I trimmed out a lot, maybe a little bit too much, but this gives me an opportunity to go back in and maybe write a section that's different, mm-hmm. put in some content so we can see the characters interact in a way that we haven't seen in any other part of the story. And that actually ended up being my most favorite part to write because mm-hmm. it wasn't a strictly plot focused section. It was some, it, it gave a bit of decompression and it gave the characters kind of just interact in a little bit more of a loose setting. So that type of going back and iterating and changing, that was the part that took the most time because uh, getting the game to actually work uh, probably took maybe like four months proper to really have the, you know, the dialogue system set up so that we could allow for easily changing between languages and localizations, that sort of thing, having the base functionalities all sorted so that it would memorize stats. That didn't take very long, but trying to find out, okay, how long does this story need to be? How much variety does there need to be? Figuring out all of that feedback, that's the the part that takes a long time, is the iteration is, okay, we have this thing now, we're playing it through start to finish, Where's the fun and where can we maximize the the enjoyable parts of it? So that's the part where you go back and you really try and figure out, okay, what do we need to change to make this thing work? And that's where I think a lot of game development lies is it doesn't take a lot of time to get it out there, but it does take a lot of time to figure out, okay, what is this? Like, what do we need to shape this into? Yeah, yeah. What are the uh, tools you're using, if you don't mind me asking, engine-wise or uh, anything like that? Uh, Game Maker. Uh, that was uh, I'd worked in Unity in the past, and it's fine for 2D projects, but I had a lot of difficulties uh, with those projects as well for a variety of different reasons. So Game Maker seemed the best option for getting into 2D game creation in a relatively short amount of time. This was actually the first game project that I had done the programming for. Previously, <laughs> I had done some artwork or lead design or writing focus, but this was the first one that I took on the onus for programming. So this actually started as a Twine project. Oh. Twine quickly proved to be inadequate for everything that I wanted to do with the game. Sure. So, like, I have I've posted pictures on on our Twitter about what the flowchart looked like for the original Twine build. It was completely unwieldy and would just not be usable for the yeah. types of things that I wanted to do. So we had to port it over to Game Maker in order to make sure that we had an engine that could handle sort of the the things that we wanted it to be possible. So I'm kind of impressed to hear that Game Maker kept up with this. Mm-hmm. Just because the volume of uh, assets and the the variety of gameplay and uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty impressed by that. Well, a lot of it was, you know, we had to to learn. It's like, you know, when you're loading into a section, you're packing and unpacking. There's a lot of stuff going on under the hood in terms of managing of the audio files. Like, we're not loading in all of the audio at once. Mm-hmm. You know, we load in, what, like, whatever chapter is in, any lines of dialogue that would appear in that chapter, those get loaded in, and then they're unloaded when you leave. So that was the other thing, too, with the development, is that there's a lot of things that, people um, don't think about as this is a thing that has to be made. 
Yeah. But it's absolutely important. So, like, the biggest thing, something that I actually had to go back and retool because a Game Maker update broke the previous system that we had, so we had to retool it from scratch, is figuring out how to have the the image files and the text strings properly scale to different resolutions. Mm. That's way more complicated than you would expect. Oh, yeah. As it turns mm. out. And things even like an options menu. Figuring yeah. that out, and uh, and I mentioned earlier, but the localization, like how do you store text files in such a way that it's not a string in Game Maker, but could pull from a file quickly and easily without having it be this tremendous thing that has to be loaded. So for that, we ended up having all of the text <coughs> be in a JSON file spreadsheet type of arrangement, so that way you could very easily click between different languages because that was something that we set up very early on is like the game needs, 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 needs to be able to be very easily localized and it needs to be able to switch between those languages like instantly. Like that was a core design focus and we got that working thankfully very early on in the process because that was the thing that scared me the most when I was first starting the project was, you know, all of this different stuff. And it's things that people don't think would be all that complicated. It's like, oh, it's just the text. It's like, yes, but (laughs) if you want it to be quick, if you want it to be something that you can just hand it off to the localizer easily, there's some complications that come up as a result of that. So it's those little things that people don't think of as being a part of the game but are expected. People expect there to be an options menu. People expect there to be a good save feature. People yeah. expect all these things and they don't think those are going to be the complicated parts of the game that are going to take up as much time as, you know, the core mechanics or all these other things, but they take up just as much time, if not more so. But thankfully, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where if you get a system that works, you can just save it and that can work for usually every other game project you're ever going to use. Like once we come up with this JSON file system, like we're using that for all other projects that we're working on now. So that works out pretty well for us. But it's one of those things where you don't think about these things when you start making a game, but you need to make them. So Yeah. And I mean, in your case, you wrote, you effectively wrote an interactive book and not a particularly short one either. So, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I don't remember exactly what the final word count was. Um, I know at one point it was 150,000. Oh my God. So you wrote two books. After we went in for like the final revisions or not, it was a long, like it was like the length of a book that you would buy on a store shelf, like in a bookstore. Like it is that much of an investment in terms of the, the writing. Yeah. I just published like a 72,000 word book, something like that. So you, you wrote a long book. Uh, and then too, that's 150,000 with all of the different like narrative paths. Like I would imagine probably playing it through regularly, it would end up being about 60, 70,000 words. So about the length of your average book. Yeah. So plus same length. So in many ways, when you're doing an interactive story, it's even longer. And what's even more frustrating is that every single one needs to be, it needs to resolve in such a way or it needs to go through in such a way where it makes sense. Because most times when you're writing a story, you have this idea in your mind of, okay, these are the themes I'm trying to impart. This is how every scene builds on the previous one in order to get to the conclusion. 
That's hard enough to do once. It's especially hard to do it 37 times. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the other thing, too, where it's like the interactive portion is you're writing way more than you would for a, a comparative story of that size. But you are also having to keep in mind that every scene building on the next one, it can build into a variety of different ways. And you need to be thinking of that as like, OK, how can I make each narrative path feel satisfying and not just have one ending be oh clearly this is the only good one and all Mm -hmm. of the other ones are just kind of well i guess i need to play over from the beginning in order to try and get an ending that actually fits you know what i mean yeah yeah it's it it's daunting uh to even think about because i mean i've i've seen a couple of good talks about uh how to do this from developers who sort of specialize in these games and like you said, that that flow chart or that, you know, the diagram that shows all the different story paths and stuff, it's incredible to look at. Mm-hmm. It looks like um, a giant Christmas tree or something. <laughs> every, every light is a scene and it's mm-hmm. it's unreal to, to think about. And this is kind of a, a super version of this kind of game because you, you got publisher support. I guess, It sounds like early on. I mean, how did you attract publishing support? You said they contacted you. I would say this was actually relatively late in the process uh, that they got involved. Like gotcha. I had originally planned to have the game released in May of last year. Um, and I don't remember exactly when they stepped in. I think it was a couple months before I was originally set to publish. Oh, okay. Like I was getting ready to publish it as a uh, nonverbal, like it would have had like some, uh, sound effects for some of the characters, but it was going to be nonverbal and published in May. So they actually came along relatively late in the process. I was actually probably like a couple months removed. I want to say this was in March of last year. I want to mm-hmm. say is when it started happening. Um, February, March, somewhere in that area. It was early last year. So um, the publisher support was great, but it actually came relatively late in. If it had come in a lot earlier, that probably would have completely changed how the pipe flow of the game would have gone. So it was it was a big deal to get those VO lines in there. Uh, really oh, adds yes. a lot to the experience. Now, to be fair, uh, I wouldn't discourage small teams from making games where they do the best they can and, make, like you said, have a few sound effects. But it's it's a little harder to really drop yourself into the experience when, you know, every couple of times a character says something that you just give them a little bit of like a, huh? <laughs> or, you know, uh-uh, right. you know, that kind of, the Sims kind of language, but uh, this really well, adds main, a lot. Yeah. The main one we would have done that for would have been the AI character, because I feel oh, like yeah. that's kind of, because people can visualize in their mind um, more easily, like how, uh, a certain character is going to talk, but when you have like the AI, I feel like that's sort of the case where it kind of helps to um, have some things be a little bit more core established so mm-hmm. that you can more easily visualize it. And also I think that's kind of where it's a little bit more unique and you can really set that up. But um, yeah, the voice acting, it wasn't important to us just because it would have given us that, that slight edge in terms of, you know, voice of where the, visual novels are but it was also important from like being able to interact with it because reading on a book doesn't hurt your eyes like reading on a screen does so reading a dialogue on a screen could actually hurt some people well not like actively hurt you know what i mean like it's not yeah 
So there was actually people who were reaching out to us before we announced that we were bringing voice acting in, and they were saying, is there a voice acting option because I have sensitive eyes and I'm worried about straining my eyes too much by reading too much of this game at a time? And that was like mm -hmm. a genuine, you know, sort of concern that we had development-wise. And unfortunately for a while, that was just something that I didn't have the budget to cover until the publisher came in. And then once they did, that immediately solved a whole lot of our problems in terms of concerns about that because that is a concern. Yeah. You know, you want people to be able to actually interact with your game properly, but there's only so much reading from a screen you can do at a time that's healthy. And if you are making that a priority, then you have to worry about, okay, well, is the text properly situated? What font size would be best for reading through that while also accommodating how long the lines of dialogue are at a time. Like, there's a lot of little concerns that go into that mm -hmm. to make sure that it's properly situated in a way so that people can read through it comfortably, especially when that's the main way they're going to be interacting with the game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also, I mean, sort of related, tell me about the, the very pleasant music in the game. Like, I, I really liked the uh, soundtrack. A lot of that was just uh, picking tracks from a variety of different sources. There were people who sort of put their music out there that I reached out to, and I was like, hey, would you be interested in having us use this track for it? And we would just sort of pop it in there. I wanted the music... It was very important to have breaks, mental breaks between sessions, because the subject matter is very intense. Yeah. There's a lot of very... Uh, big choices that have to be made. So I wanted there to be this sense of, of calm and uh, the ability to relax between each session. So that's kind of where the, the hub sort of came in where you could, you know, play these mini games. You could listen to the music through the music uh, player uh, app that was included. And you could read through some of the other uh, elements at your own leisure. And you didn't feel like you had to jump back into the next part of the story until you were ready to, like, I really felt that that was important. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to ease into that topic because it's a bit of a heavy one, but there's a big focus on mental health in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the subject matter is heavy without being what I felt was overly intense. And I mean, of course that's up to everyone to uh, decide how they feel about that, but it's, it's therapy granted. A lot of it's directed at an AI, but I assume that that branches out a little bit, uh, very heavy therapy focus. And I'm just curious about like, is that part of your educational background or, uh, you know, how did this topic make its way into the uh, design of the game? A lot of it's just personal history. I've had my own mental health struggles throughout my life. And this actually started as sort of a cathartic exercise of just sort of externalizing thoughts and feelings and things that I was trying to figure out in a format where I could kind of read it back a little bit later. And it wasn't just on my mind all the time. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having it be like this AI patient that you're looking at came from a realization that I had where we look at mental health in many ways in terms of functionality, right? Somebody feels like they're not able to live the life they want to, function the way they want to, they go to the therapist. So that's sort of the criteria is I'm not doing what I feel like I should be doing or what is expected of me, so I'm going to go and try and figure out what's going on. And that's sort of the way we look at a lot of technology. When we look at a program, 
there's always this uh, saying I've heard, which I think is very great, which is that computers are interesting in that they will always do exactly what you tell them to do, even if that's not what you expect them to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you code a program and the program crashes. It's not that the program is broken. The program did exactly what you told it to do. You just didn't quite tell it to do what it was supposed to in a way that would go with how you expected things to carry over. So I saw a lot of overlap almost in this idea of trying to fix a broken piece of technology or fix a program that is not doing what you want it to do versus how we look at mental health, which is I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. How can I tweak that process in order to work? And it's all based off of these very sort of arbitrary social distinctions of what does it mean to be functional? You know, does that mean that you're working the nine to five? Does it mean that, you know, you're doing all these other things? Like all of these different ideas of how to be functional in society, how to uh, be productive are very closely tied into mental health. And there's a lot of sort of arbitrary assumed biases that go into that, that I feel kind of need to be looked at. I don't necessarily want to say one way or the other how it comes down because I don't want to color how people will perceive the game as a result of that. I mm-hmm. designed the game to be sort of open-ended so that you can kind of come away with your own sort of ideas of how this is supposed to go. But I do feel like that does need to be sort of the core assumption that's looked at as we do start to become a little bit more aware of mental health issues and we do start to discuss it more. That's kind of where it needs to start. I think so that was kind of where the whole discussion came from, which is my own ideas on how um, mental health is supposed to be in this realization that there is sort of this strange way of looking at mental health that I feel like isn't quite being questioned in the way it's supposed to be. And that maybe creating this, uh, this game, this story in a way where it's focused on looking at the arbitrariness of that and just trying to then, play with those different ideas would probably be the best way to go about telling that sort of story. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of expertise about therapy and how the mind works that I can see from very early in the game. So uh, even with it being a a close and personal topic to you, I feel like there must've been a lot of uh, research to do and or expertise to seek out. So, I mean, how did that part go for you? There really wasn't a lot of expertise I sought out, like in terms of actually talking to mental health professionals, uh, except for one case. There's a um, a psychologist named Scott Alexander, whose blog I found to be extremely helpful in terms of just looking at the mindset of a practicing therapist and seeing how they approached various mental health topics and sort of the day-to-day of what it's like to work with patients and how you're trying to advise them to get out of certain social situations or social problems in ways that are productive when there's really no solution for a lot of these different things. So that was kind of my main reference in terms of just looking at um, getting information, getting insight from a mental health professional in just terms of like the day-to-day This is how I view myself in relation to my field. This is how I view the field in relation to society. That's who I was kind of taking a lot of influence from, was his writings that he had posted and trying to see how I could apply that to some of the other topics that were uh, brought up in in the game. Mm -hmm. This seems like the kind of project that uh, 
I'm, I'm always happy for developers who tell me that they get to bring a project like this that is something close and something personal all the way to the finish line. But I think that something I hear a lot is something that comes along with that is it gets, it gets difficult. You don't always feel the, the same mm-hmm. enthusiasm you may have felt uh, at the beginning. I mean, were there difficult stretches for something this personal or was it always kind of a labor of love and you didn't mind? I would say that a lot of the difficulties with the project kind of more came in, like as we did the expansion and started adding in all these different things, mm-hmm. because uh, the publisher's help was great. Sure. Um, but because they came in so late at the end of the process, it's one of those things where sometimes I think back on it's like, man, if they had approached us at the very start of the development process, the things we could have done differently, you know, the mm-hmm. way we could have handled this development differently, the way we could have incorporated a lot more things kind of at the very start of the development or even when we had shipped. Like there was a lot of features that we wanted to include in the game, but we couldn't get working in time for when the game shipped. Stuff like the flowchart reader so that players could kind of see, oh, this is the path I took. These mm-hmm. are other paths that could be taken. Those weren't quite ready by the time the game originally shipped because there was so much focus on getting the voice acting in. So that's kind of really the only regret I have about the <coughs> development process was that just because the publisher came in a little bit later on in the in the process, it meant that the game was shipped in a way where, like, it wasn't unfinished, you know, the game was right. play, was working, and was fine. But there were a lot of things that would have been great to have shipped it with, to kind mm-hmm. of start off with. And now, later on in the development process, you know, getting close to, you know, over half a year after the game originally shipped, we're still adding in all these different things that, Originally, I would have just had it's like it would be cool if, but I don't know if we have time for it. Now we right. have the time for it, and we're adding that stuff back in. But if the publisher had been involved, like if I had originally reached out to them or they had reached out to me like a year earlier, like that stuff could have probably been in right at the beginning. But you know, it's one of those things where it's like I can't really get too upset about it because you know. I had no idea a publisher would have ever been involved with a project like this. It was always just something that I had never really seen as being a publisher-based project until the option just kind of appeared. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who would want to take on something like that at first. So it was just sort of a change of perspective about what was possible with this. And now, thankfully, with other projects that I have in mind, I know that that is a possibility where I can reach out to publishers kind of right at the beginning and be like, hey, this is the vision I have for this thing. This is the stuff I would love to have, you know, in terms of people working on the project, uh, collaborators we could bring in to do some stuff with it, marketing budgets, that sort of thing, release dates, additional platforms outside of just PC. Like we could get this on other consoles and such. This is my vision for it. What are you able to bring in in terms of financing to make it happen? Knowing that that's a possibility with other projects now is great. And I don't really... Um, miss the fact that that wasn't how Synth Therapy happened. Um, but it is something where I think of it's like Synth Therapy could have been a vastly different project mm-hmm. if I had approached it with the mindset of a publisher is going to be involved from the beginning and they're going to be able to contribute a lot more than just whatever I'm able to bring to the table. Yeah. And I'm, I don't think to this day I've ever heard anyone say that they got everything they wanted to in their projects. So, I mean, you have that in your defense. Uh, I've never spoken to a publisher like, yep, it went perfect. We got everything we wanted to do. It was no problem. Yeah, and, yeah. and, 
And I don't know when the last time was that I spoke to somebody who said once they locked off development, they, they didn't open it up again. Like I, it's, it's almost not the way things work anymore. And I, I, I don't, I think there are pros and cons to that, but I mean, in terms of developers getting to go, look, we, we set this up. This is absolutely when release is, but you know, they get a chance to go back and do something else for their players. I think that's very good. Um, mm-hmm. obviously could be abused also, but that's certainly not something I see here. I'm happy to hear that you guys are able to do more stuff, uh, to keep things exciting and keep things better and better for uh, players in terms of quality of life, things like that. Um, I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and say, you know, I, I wish I knew how I could get <clears throat> a publisher turned on to my project. That's something along these lines. So are you able to, to sort of draw a straight line between any one thing about your project and what brought the publisher in or a decision you made, something you, someone you contacted just right place at the right time. What can you tell me? It really was right place at the right time. Yeah. They reached out to us uh, originally with the offer of doing advertising work for the game, but because Mm -hmm. our budget was so low, there was no way we could afford any type of marketing that, um, that would have been sufficient that yeah. would have actually helped us out in the long term. So they offered to take us on on their um, new publishing wings. They had just started publishing instead, and we'd already been in communication. So they said, well, we'll just bring you on and publish you instead. So not really sure how anyone would replicate that sort of situation. Yeah, um, I would say that what, um, what made the game stand out was kind of um, was its mental health focus. So I guess... Um, the understanding that your game needs to have something about it that is distinct and something about it that has sort of this continual continual perennial interest, right? So um, when I used to, like years and years and years ago, I used to um, be trying to get books published because that was kind of how I originally wanted to be a writer before I decided that game writing was just way more interesting to me because of the the interactivity aspect. I thought that was much more interesting than anything just in a straight narrative would, would go. But something that when I was talking to book publishers, you know, people who would publish manuscripts, something that they were always looking for were books that were tied to topics that were always sort of in vogue, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always yeah. going to be people who are interested in um, fantasy settings to a certain degree. There's always going to be people who are interested in uh, murder mysteries, that sort of thing. Romance, so, it's always romance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's another that's another big one, exactly. So it's like there's certain genres where, you know, they will vastly escalate in popularity. Like they'll just explode mm-hmm. overnight. And then there's other ones that um, you know, it's like what's the new hot thing right now? And then there's some that are like there's always going to be some demand for it. So you look at it in terms of who's going to be the audience for this? Like if you had to envision in your mind, like who's going to pick this up, who's that person going to be, what other stuff are they going to get? That sort of thing. So keeping this stuff in mind (laughs) and not necessarily orienting your game around that person, but keeping in mind, just being aware of this feature is going to appeal to this type of person or this feature or this theme is going to resonate with this. I think that serves you pretty well when you're actually going to talk to a publisher because that's sort of how the publisher is looking at it. Like not all publishers necessarily, um, you know, not all publishers necessarily handle the marketing. They sometimes get other people in to do that, but 
the publisher is going to be thinking, how does this compare to the other games in our wheelhouse, right? Yeah. Because sometimes you'll have publishers that kind of stick to a specific topic. You know, for a while, that was kind of Devolver's shtick before they started to branch out. Like, they were the people who were known for being the publishers of sort of the more out-there, violent, sort of uh, 80s-inspired games. And they still have that feature, but they've branched out to tons and tons of other things since. Mm -hmm. But those other publishers where they like the idea of being able to branch out and be known as covering a wide variety of genres. So looking at the publisher, seeing these are the types of games they publish, is it in my benefit or detriment if I approach them with this game? Are they going to look at it and say, oh, good, this is another game we can put into our roster to show that this is the type of work we do? Or are they going to look at it and say, oh, we already are doing a game like this. Why would we need to publish another one? Mm-hmm. You know, Because we already yeah. have this in our roster. What would be the difference? <laughs> Like, um, that's actually something that's going on with one of the uh, studios that I'm contracted with right now. I can't really say the name or what the project is, but they approached a big publisher, massive AAA publisher, like a household name publisher, and said, hey, we need some more financing for this project. And they looked at it and they said, well, we're already kind of doing our own thing sort of like that, publishing our own thing, you know, sometime next year. Hmm. So we can't really you know, do another project like it. So that's sort of the thing to keep in mind when you're approaching the publishers. you got to look at their library and think, is this something where they would probably appreciate having more like this, or would this be a detriment? And just sort of looking at it that way. So being aware of the very easily uh, pointing to uh, things that would make it interesting. It's like, oh, this game is, um, you know, it's... Like, there's a platformer, there's always a market for platformers that could work, or, oh, there's kind of too many of them, it's kind of hard to stand out unless you have, like, a really good gimmick, mm-hmm. you know? So, that's sort of the stuff to keep in mind. It kind of went on a little tangent there, but that's sort of the stuff that, when I'm interacting with publishers, or when I'm um, seeing, you know, colleagues of mine, like, my coworkers interacting with publishers on their end in order to get their own projects going... This is the sort of stuff that I'm seeing being talked about. These are the sort of things that come up in terms of, is this publisher going to either finance our work or take us on entirely or not? Is is it unique enough that it's standing out for them as, this is something that can do something for us? Or is this something where they're looking at it as, yeah, this fits in our wheelhouse. We know kind of how to market something like this. We know how to get this in front of enough people that it'll be profitable. So that's kind of yeah. how interacting with publishers tends to go. Gotcha. I just realized you couldn't see me this whole time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have to use two <laughs> I have to use two webcams because I've got one streaming to uh, OBS and the other is uh, with Skype or whatever I'm using. So that that's oh, ridiculous. Gotcha. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all right. Uh well, so anyway, here I am. <laughs> Um, get back on track. Uh, tell me about the reception for the game. I mean, what are, how are players interacting with it? What are you hearing back right now? So most of the initial feedback we were getting was, um, was that there were a lot of features that, uh, people sort of expected or wanted the game to have. And there was some sort of frustration that the stuff wasn't there on launch, which we were able to correct within a, you know, within a couple months. I would say that in terms of feedback to the actual subject matter, we've been getting a lot of really touching feedback mm-hmm. from people who are saying that they're really glad that the subject matter is being talked about, and they're really glad that it's being talked about in the way that it is, yeah. which is it is sort of looking at it 
in the terms of the actual therapy approach, that it's looking at it from the, not just from the perspective of, of self-care, which is usually how a lot of games sort of approach it, mm-hmm. but that it is looking at it a little bit more as this is the reality of how the therapy field works, both in terms of you know the benefits of it, but also in terms of the shortcomings of it, in terms of some of the limitations that are involved, because the game does have a big focus on the idea that, you know, like an actual therapist session, you're not going to have the time to talk about all of the things that you want to. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a limitation of therapy as, as sort of a practice is that you have to balance all these different expectations. And maybe there's a way that we should be rethinking therapy so that that's not quite as much of a problem as it is. So, that's been a lot of the feedback that we've been getting so far is of people really appreciating the way we're looking at the subject matter. And I think that's going to bode well for us a lot going forward is um, because as I was originally talking about sin therapy with a lot of people, like back when it was the, just a passion project, there were a lot of people who had different ideas of what the game was going to be. Mm-hmm. And now that we, that I've kind of put it out there as how I wanted it to be, I'm part of the ideas I'm having in terms of additional content are sort of looking back at those other ideas of what people thought the game was going to be and thinking to myself, is there a way that I can put that vision, that alternate spin on it into this base project so that it's sort of expanding its focus to on one hand, you have like the very story focused element, which is looking at the, um, you know, looking at these characters, how they're dealing with, their mental health sort of struggles and history in a narrative context, mm-hmm. but also possibly opening up the idea of having more, um, almost like a, like a roguelike, it generates a therapy patient and then you walk through the process. Now this version is something that we would obviously be heavily consulting mental health professionals for before we released it. But that is sort of when I was talking about this, um, sort of game concept people were saying it's like oh it's like this and i said well it's more of like a narrative focused thing but i always had in the back of my mind this idea of well there clearly is a demand for that sort of thing so mm-hmm. maybe we could do that too so that's kind of what we're working on right now is trying to expand sort of the idea of what the game is because i look at sin therapy as okay the story's been told that part's all basically locked and there's really nothing else you can really add to that. But there's probably other ways we could take this sort of concept in ways that people would probably deeply appreciate and we can run with that in a whole myriad of ways. So that's kind of where we're at is just sort of getting the feedback from the community and seeing how, how what other ways we could really bring this content out there in ways that they would appreciate I mean, that really sounds like still pretty significant development being done. Uh, that's that's not just, you know, we, we added a volume slider to the options. I mean, that, <laughs> oh, oh. that's that's beyond the lookout for brand new experiences, which is cool. That's good news. <laughs> that's cool. Um, and I, I guess sort of an extension of that, that uh, line of questioning would be, what do you see coming up beyond this project uh, if and when you, you move on sometime soon? I would say that there are other stories that we could tell um, related to the different characters that are involved here that I think would be extremely interesting. I've uh, probably the first sort of story expansion that I could imagine would be kind of like a prequel story that kind of delves into 
the processes behind Willow's uh, Willow being the AI character mm-hmm. behind what happened with their development, and also looking at sort of the mindset that went into their creation from the some of the characters that you are briefly introduced to in the main story, and kind of looking at their motivations a little bit more in the in the prequel story, because I think that there's a lot of interesting sort of things that could be delved into in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't really um, delved into this possibility too much with like the publisher or anything like that, but I have ideas for a sequel. I have ideas for ways that the story could be continued and these uh, themes of mental health in relation to society could be explored that would carry off from each of the endings. So it's not like, oh, all of these different endings are not canon. We're just kind of scrapping that idea and moving on to something else. All of them would play a role in how the story would continue going forward. And the game, uh, any sequel project would continue with the idea of all of the choices you made in the previous game, they still have an impact on the story as it's going forward into the, this new, um, this new story that would be told that would be looking at mental health issues from a completely different vantage point from how we'd originally done it. Nice. And I mean, this is this version of storytelling done about as well as I've seen it. I mean, there's a ton to go on. There's a ton to see and hear and uh, interact with. So I think that's very cool. Did you guys go into early access with this or did you just do a full release? We just went straight to a full release Mm -hmm. um, with this one, because again, part of it was at the time we felt like uh, we had done our original vision of the game, like, that basically had everything it needed, like with with the exception of like, you know, a flow chart, some other like quality of life features and other stuff like that. But aside from the base experience, as we wanted players to to experience it, like we basically had it finished in October of last year when we shipped it. Everything else since then has kind of just been looking at uh, what other content could be added to it? What other things could we add to this package Basically, that would be of interest to people because there are a lot of ways to take the idea of an interactive story based around therapy. And I feel we took it uh, originally in the much more narrative focused direction, which I think worked out really well in kind of getting the story out there, the story that I had had sort of on my mind for like the last two and a half, three years or so, getting it out there. So I'm glad that we did that. But there is the other way to do it, which is the more interactive focus instead of narrative focus. So now that's kind of where a lot of our focus is. And maybe we'll do this as like a free update or maybe we'll do it as a paid DLC, depending on just how just how big we end up making this thing. Right now yeah. I'm leaning towards having it just be like a regular content update and then saving paid DLC for like significant story updates or stuff like that. But um, yeah, so... That's kind of where we're taking this. We're taking this from the idea of we finished the game as it was originally envisioned. Now what other stuff can we do with this while still not having to necessarily branch out into something considerably massive that would have to justify a completely additional game or conditional or additional update, I should say. Do you, do you have a lot of players that you're hearing from a lot? Or is it more of like, a, hey, here's what I thought about the game. I mean, like, is there sort of a community uh, established around this? Or do you just kind of hear people as uh, sort of a drive-by kind of thing? 
it's more of a drive-by right now. We're trying mm-hmm. to have it be more of a, a community come up because the community would then sort of help us, uh, guide us in a direction of where we would go consistently with a sequel, right? Because right. Yeah. right now, the way I see it is, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's like, like when you buy into a streaming service, right? You buy it with everything that's there, but you're also buying it with the idea that you're getting more things that are sort of lumped into that package while still keeping everything that was there before. And that's sort of how we're looking at the game right now is, yeah, you pay the $15 to get, you know, this base story with all of these replayability options, all this different content. What can we add on to that to make it a more enticing package? What can we add on to it that would entice players who maybe were not interested before, keep it relevant to new players who might want to get onto it, or even just make it so that players who already played the game before would be able to have a reason to go back and play again, and maybe this time play it for a little bit more frequently than than they did before. Because that's always, especially with visual novel games, that's like, all right, I played the story, I beat it, what's the new content for me to explore? What's the reason for me to keep this thing and keep playing it and stay invested in it long-term aside from just playing the next one when it comes out? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of our focus is that we're trying to make it so that we do have that community of people who don't just comment on the game based off of their thoughts and feelings of it when they play it, but you know, continually comments like, hey, I really liked this thing. I'm going to keep coming back to see what's sort of on offer. And that way I feel a little bit more invested in giving more suggestions and taking more of an active role in sort of guiding this project from this original project that it was when I first bought it to something that could be much more valuable to me in the future. And that Mm -hmm. I feel will give us more feedback, but also make it so that we have more people to rely on as we get more content out there. Totally. Yeah. Would you still be happy with game maker if you started a sequel soon or, or would you think about something else? I would say we would probably stick with game maker for the time being because the, the core of it, you know, the core features that we needed the game to have, you know, we needed it so that it had a good save feature. We needed it so that it had an easy localization feature. We needed it so that it could work on, a variety of different platforms and it could handle music well and it could handle uh, all of the images and all the artwork. All of that stuff still applies. All of that framework is still there. So I would imagine that we would probably make the sequel in Game Maker as well. I would see no reason why we would change that. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling this uh, episode a pretty big endorsement for Game Maker because I, <laughs> I first learned in Game Maker. I learned a very long time ago. I mean, very long time ago when it was first starting out. Uh, and I didn't entirely know how it aged. I know a lot of things changed ownership and features and pricing and everything, but this is very encouraging. So sounds like game maker still a big contender. So, um, Oh, absolutely. There's a tons of, there's tons of games that still, um, that are still being made in game maker and it's, it's worked out fantastically for us so far. Nice. Nice. So as I, as I worried this time flew right by. So uh, as we sort of wrap (laughs) things up, uh, let people know where they can find you online. Uh, in addition to, of course, uh, the game on steam, uh, anywhere you want to point people. Um, so our Twitter account is, uh, at sin therapy game. You can find us there. Um, we usually post like any updates. Uh, sometimes if there's 
uh, screenshot Saturday related stuff leading into an update. We'll post stuff there. If you want to kind of uh, give us some feedback, if you want to uh, kind of see what's coming up with the game further on down the line, you can follow us there and you'll get that. Um, and like you said, we're on Steam. That's our that's our main spot right now. We're available for PC, Mac, and Linux. So that's where you can that's where you can buy the game. Nice. Well, uh, Chris, this has been awesome. Thank you. Uh, good luck with the game from here on out and with development. We'll be curious to uh, see what comes next for you. Thank you. I was uh, happy to be here. It was a fun time. All right. Good times.